The following episode of the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, includes advertising provided by our network, GCN. If you'd like to subscribe to an ad-free version of the program, plus the exclusive After the Paracast podcast, please visit www.theparacast.plus. That's P-L-U-S. Once again, that's www.theparacast.plus. The gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. As always, Tim and I are always happy to welcome Kevin D. Randall to the Paracast. And there's tons of current stuff to talk about. And stuff that isn't so current, such as his recent book, The Washington Nationals. Not about sports, but flying saucers over the Capitol which is probably what one of the most famous or infamous UFO sightings ever, 1952. I was alive then. And Kevin was alive then, but Tim was not. I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> yeah, but your, your age has been posted somewhere. Yeah, but we don't have to help. I should not admit that. It's, you're right. <laughs> I, got, I got you right there. You shouldn't. Now, obviously, we're talking right after, a few hours after, the U.S. House of Representatives held a hearing on UAPs, where there were three major witnesses, and Kevin happened to watch it. And so, therefore, we're going to want his summary and his response to it. But the first thing, of course, is that there is this whistleblower, David Grush, who worked with the Pentagon's UFO project, UAP project, forgive me, and has apparently an intelligence background, correct me if I'm wrong. Who doesn't? Hey, that's right, you have an intelligence background. That's what I'm saying. Well, my intelligence background is I'm very smart. (laughs) Okay, that's about as good as it gets. Or the line that Jack Nicholson said in that movie, is this as good as it gets? Yes, it is. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just it's the the idea of this guy. Well, he has an intelligence background. Who cares? Who doesn't? I have an intelligence background. So there you go. That's it. And, you know, there are a dime a dozen, I guess. Seriously speaking, over the years in the UFO field, there have been other alleged whistleblowers, haven't there? I like that term alleged. Because I think some of the people who have come forward with their alleged stories were not being as candid as possible. I don't want to name any names, Philip Corso, but I don't think that he had much in the way of intimate knowledge into the UFO field, especially from what he said in his book and the things that we could look at in his book that uh, didn't ring true. But yeah, there's been people who have come forward with their claims of intimate and inside knowledge who really are probably, as I said, less than candid about what they saw and what they did and who they were. So amongst this group, do you think any are genuine whistleblowers? This new group, the three today? Any time in the UFO field. 
the thing that I was struck by, we've known who the witnesses were going to be for literally weeks. It was the three that we thought they were going to be. I posted on my blog who we thought they were going to be. The only legitimate whistleblower or alleged whistleblower there is that uh, David Grush. The other two guys are former Navy pilots, and they're not really whistleblowing. They were just there to testify about their experiences intercepting UFOs because I refuse to call them UAPs. Now, there's an official government process, isn't there, to be a whistleblower? Yes, there is. And Grush has apparently followed the rules on that. He's gone to the inspector general. He's announced his attention. So he is in the official whistleblower program. The question becomes, is the information he is providing of any consequence? Does he have any firsthand knowledge? Does he know things that we don't know about UFOs? Or do we know things that he doesn't know about UFOs? But he would be the only legitimate whistleblower on the panel today. And as I said, the other two guys were um, former Navy pilots who encountered UFOs, including the guy that took the, um, I guess, the Tic Tac footage. Yes. Um, There you go. Now, just to whether to enhance Grush's reputation or not, I read a quote the other day from this former Deputy Secretary of Defense, Christopher Mellon, who's a positive UAP guy. And he says he's known Rush for years and considers him reliable. Well, the question becomes, is Mellon reliable? Okay, that's a fair question. What do you think? And, and, and the other thing is that I think about is Mellon is saying, well, he's a reliable guy, but is he reliable about what he's talking about? Does Mellon have any specific knowledge that would suggest that Grush is actually producing any information that isn't really known to the general public at this point? And and as far as I can see, and far as I can hear, he isn't. His answer was often that, um, that he uh, couldn't talk about that in the public arena, but he could talk about it in closed sessions, which kind of leads us away from the claims of transparency that the, this whole whole thing today was about. Everybody was talking about transparency in the government, and transparency in the UFO projects, and transparency this and transparency that. And when the, all it was said and done, we didn't learn anything. So assuming that Grush has something to offer, did anyone of the legislators say, okay, let's have a session in secret to hear him? There was talk about that. He would talk about it in secret sessions and closed door sessions. But then that kind of negates all the claims of transparency, doesn't it? If it's a closed session, um, it's not very transparent. As I said, his his uh, comments when he was asked specific questions, he would say things like, I can't go beyond what I have espoused in publicly publicly about that. And that was his answer to several of the questions. We'd ask, they would ask specifics, and he wouldn't get into specifics. Uh, do you, did you talk to people who had direct knowledge of uh, crash retrievals or alien bodies? And he would say, yes, I talked to these people. I'm thinking, well, so have I talked to people who had knowledge of that uh, with the Roswell case. And then uh, they would ask for names or locations, and he said, well, I can't get into that. And so we're not getting anything we didn't already know. He didn't provide any new information other than he was asked specifically about when all this sort of began. And he said he mentioned the 1930s, which gets back to that Italian case, which is probably a hoax. And you would think someone on the inside would have known that. I would wonder then maybe he's mixing 
knowledge of the UFO culture with whatever he experienced. But the other thing is, if he's telling the truth, wouldn't he be constrained to some degree by the security clearances he has? You would think so, but he's out there talking about, I mean, saying things like people have been murdered. Well, I don't know if he said people have been murdered, but there's been some discussion about the possibility that people have been murdered who knew too much about UFOs. I, I saw it on one of the YouTube channels, somebody talking about that, that somebody had mentioned that. I don't think Rush did, but he talked about people having been harmed. He talked about um, uh, that sort of thing. But yeah, he would be constrained by security clearances and security agreements that he might have made, but he's already out there talking about these things, uh, suggesting an intimate knowledge of, of things that could be very explosive if we could corroborate it. And that's where we are on this. We've been talking about this guy for, what, six weeks, two months, three months, and to this point we have no names of witnesses. We have no names of locations other than the Italian crash in 1933 in Roswell. We have nothing that we can vet. We have nothing that we can verify. And um, now he's sitting in front of a congressional committee uh, talking about these sorts of things, as as were what Favre and uh, Graves talking about their experiences as Navy pilots. But we didn't learn anything new. There was just nothing. There's nowhere for me to go on the investigation. I really don't... Graves and uh, Favor talked about their experiences, but that is all out in the public arena. It's all there. We've gone as far as we can with that stuff. Grush was the one that was coming to it with the intimate inside knowledge of the investigations, and he provided no kind of, of answers to the questions that would allow us to vet the information. David Grush, I certainly have some questions of my own to ask you about the logic in what he's doing and what purpose it serves, other than to confuse people. But we're already confused. We don't need any help. Kevin D. Randall, Tim Swartz, Gene Steinberg. Kevin, of course, has written a book, a recent book, about the 1952 Washington, D.C. UFO flat. You're in the Paracast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience, so I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. If we've learned anything from recent news, it's that unexpected things are happening. Your gut tells you there's something very wrong going on, and all the evidence suggests that there is. Government emails are hacked. There's talk of how to fight World War III, and trade of grains and food are being disrupted. Those in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing, but you know better. 
It's time to invest in self-reliance and emergency food storage now more than ever. My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest emergency preparedness company, is the place you can trust. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contains tasty breakfasts, lunch, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Get at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save 25%, plus get free shipping on all their three-month emergency food kits. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today. It's time to prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, veterinarian and naturopathic physician. The Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy with an important message. Take charge of your health. Do not continue to blindly follow the system that has failed us all. I appreciate GCN listeners because you're open-minded and intelligent. If our system is so great, why is it that the United States, the USA, ranks nearly 60th worldwide in longevity and number one in obesity? All the while, we spend more money than all the other countries combined annually on unnecessary health care procedures and toxic drugs. It doesn't take much to get on track, not with the government or pharmaceutical companies, but rather you in control of your own health with a basic understanding of nutrition and supplementation. FDI Longevity has the finest quality health, sports, and energy supplements available. GCN listeners are invited to join our team of people who want to stay healthy well into old age. We are currently looking for specialists to represent FDI Longevity and save America. To buy products at wholesale prices or join our business team, go to GCNteam.com. That's GCNteam.com. Support GCN. Get healthy. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So let's go back to motives here. This guy wants to become a whistleblower. He becomes a whistleblower, apparently. And he has to know that He's constrained in what he could say publicly. So what purpose does it serve other than to either whet the appetites of the hopeful or just confuse everybody or a combination of the two? His motive, according to him, was the U.S. government is in possession of this knowledge, in possession of, I I think they're talking about a dozen crashed UFOs. They're talking about the pilots, the bodies of the pilots, and that sort of thing. And he personally thought this was something that the public had a right to know. I think that's his motivation. He wanted to get that information out there and expose this cover-up that has persisted since actually before the the Roswell crash in 1947. But 
if you're going to expose this information, you have to be able to provide us with the documentation and the witnesses and the sources so that we can vet the information to find out if it's legitimate. And as I said, the one thing he has talked about was this 1933 crash in Italy, which it took me about two hours to get to the bottom of that uh, using the Internet and some of the people that I know in the UFO field. And, and learn that it's most probably a hoax. It sort of mirrors the MJ-12 nonsense that we had in this country in the mid-1980s. Uh, there was a number of Italian UFO investigators. Uh, Edward Russo provided us with the documentation about the investigation that uh, some of the Italian UFO investigators had uh, uncovered about this. And like I said, it kind of smacks of MJ-12. Documents were presented, but the archives they supposedly came from don't exist. They couldn't verify that. They couldn't verify this, that, and the other thing. And uh, I'm, I'm stunned that Mussolini and his fascist government would have captured a flying saucer in 1933 and not shared it with German scientists. And yet there's no evidence that that ever happened. In fact, the Pope was supposedly so outraged by the fascists having it that he told the American government, and we ended up with it after the close of World War II. But that story is probably bogus. And if you're on the inside, I'll go I'll go there. I, I think what's happened is in the course of his duties, he heard stories about UFOs and he just accepted the information as true. So somebody mentioned this 1933 crash and he accepted it as true rather than trying to vet it himself without, I guess, an intimate knowledge of the UFO community. I, I'm not sure that he would have had the uh, resources to to vet it simply but by this point after he had mentioned that several weeks ago i would have thought that he would have um, learned a little bit more about it i did a, a an expose i guess of it on my blog a number of weeks ago about the uh, the 1933 crash that with the information that that i had from the, the Italian sources. So I, I don't know about the motivation. I don't know about his sources. I just, uh, I really don't know much of anything about uh, what's going on here other than he's telling wonderful stories that for some reason the mainstream media is accepting as true. Well, when Don Schmidt and I were talking about this 30 years ago, we got blown off by everybody. We had a interview scheduled at the Chicago Tribune to talk about what we had learned. We were gonna name names and we had documents and all of that. Um, we were met in the hallway by a young woman who was an intern to interview us. That was the extent of our Chicago Tribune interview. And she said that the editors just didn't believe the story. And I'm thinking, do, do they want to see the evidence? Are they interested in the evidence at all? And her opinion was they were not. So that's kind of where that, that went. Now suddenly, everybody's talking about this as if it is proven fact. And at this point, I don't think it's proven fact. We still have a lot of corroborative investigation to do before we can say, yeah, this guy's telling the truth and this is how it is and this is what's going on. I noticed in the hearings there was quite a bit of agenda by some of the congressional representatives who were more interested in learning about the way black budgets worked and how money was hidden than they really were in learning about what was going on in the world of well, I hate to say it, but UAPs, I would say UFOs. Just so, say uh, UFOs, screw them. Well, I, I was <laughs> I was trying to relate it back to what they had said, because they were talking about UAPs, and I'm relating to what they said. But yes, it's UFOs, and you know it, and I know it, and you're just, you're just not on the inside if you don't say uh, UAP. 
Yeah, it just seems like that David is um, reaching for some of the low-hanging fruit in uh, UFO pop culture. I'm surprised that he hasn't started talking about Billy Myers or the uh, secret you know, U.S. alien treaty from the 50s. I, well, I think some of that is, is probably way, way too far out. Hmm. Uh, I mean, why well, hesitate to say anything about Billy Meyer? Because Michael Horn will send me nasty emails for the next six months. <laughs> well, you already said but, it, so he'll send it. Yeah, well, there we go. We're, we're dead in the water on that one. We haven't heard I mean, from well, Michael with, Horn with him, in 50,000 years. The, the, the interesting thing is when I got involved in some of the Billy Meyer stuff, and I had said in my blog that I just didn't find the story credible. I, I mean, really innocuous statement. And suddenly I'm just bombarded with this stuff. And I said, well, I'm going to retract that statement and said that the Billy Meyer case is a hoax. So there you go, Michael Horn. You can attack again. I don't care. <laughs> We've got a question. We've got a number of questions in our listeners forum and uh, so we'll just uh, uh, reach for one right now and this one is from uh, Rusty Shackelford and Rusty wants to know Kevin do you know of any credible individuals that had direct first hand experience of non-human remains being covered from whatever crashed at Roswell or anywhere else absolutely I have named names and in fact I just put on my blog I met with Tim Saunders. His father was Patrick Saunders, who was the base adjutant in Roswell in 19, um, 1947. And I talked to Patrick Saunders a couple of times. And what he what he Saunders was talking about, and I have the documentation from, from family members and whatnot, uh, that he eventually told them that they had been sworn to secrecy. They couldn't talk about it, and threats were made. Edwin Easley, the base provost marshal, told Don, told Don Schmidt, told me actually, uh, in a phone conversation with him, um, I had said, are we following the right path? And easily said, what do you mean? And I said, we think it's extraterrestrial. He said, well, let me put it this way. It's not the wrong path. Here's a guy who was there on the site and saw the bodies. And and that's what he told me. I've talked to a number of people who had direct knowledge. Um, and, and yet when we presented that stuff, it was pretty much ignored by the mainstream media. And uh, we were attacked by <laughs> attacked by MUFON for crying out loud because Walt Andrus was annoyed that we were spending money on our research trips and wanted to know we were, where we were getting the money because I think he wanted to tap the source. And the sources were done, and I were spending our own money on this thing. Um, so, yeah, I've talked to people who had direct knowledge. I've talked to people who'd seen the debris. I've talked to people who were on the debris field. i talked to people who uh, were on the impact site where the, where the, craft, where the actual craft was found. I've talked to people um, who saw, uh, who were responsible for moving the material out of Roswell at the time. I've talked to people who were in the General Ramey's office when the weather balloon was unveiled to, to give the explanation. So, yeah, I've talked to a lot of people about that. We have Kevin Randall, Gene Steinberg, Tim Swartz. So much more to talk about. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attention, your money is now controlled by the U.S. government. Picture a world where your every purchase is monitored, tracked, and controlled by those in power to suppress the freedoms of those they see fit. Hi, my name is Jason Hansen. I'm a former CIA officer and New York Times bestselling author. And right now, 
I become very focused on the impending rollout of the central bank digital currency. This is not a work of fiction. It's a terrifying reality looming on the horizon. But there is a bit of good news. I've partnered with Advantage Gold to offer you a solution. They are specialists in converting your traditional assets, like those inside an IRA or 401k, into tangible assets such as physical gold and silver. Don't allow your money to be controlled. Claim your free gold protection kit from Advantage Gold. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Call 800-900-8000. USA News Update. Thunderstorms in Washington, D.C. Saturday led to downed trees and tens of thousands of power outages. Service was also suspended on parts of the D.C. metro train system. Kanye West's Twitter account is being reinstated. Over the weekend, the New York Times reported the account is being turned back on and has been given a gold checkmark, supposedly reserved for official business accounts. The rapper was suspended from the platform over six months ago after making hateful remarks against Jewish people and posting a photo of a swastika inside the Star of David. A federal judge is halting Montana's ban on drag performances. Judge Brian Morris placed a temporary restriction against the bill, noting Montana already has laws to protect minors from obscene material. Barbie will win the weekend, totaling more than $350 million domestically. Jerry Barmash, USA News. I'm Ben Utech. I played high school, college, and pro football, helping my team win the 2006 championship. It was an amazing day, but it can't compare to the joy I feel every day with my loving wife and three beautiful daughters. My football career ended after I suffered my fifth concussion. Did you know that over a million athletes suffer a concussion each year? That includes boys and girls, every age, every type and level of sport. It isn't always clear that a player has had a concussion. So parents, athletes, and coaches need to learn about concussion signs and symptoms. The American Academy of Neurology recommends athletes thought to have a concussion be immediately removed from play and not returned until assessed by a healthcare professional trained in concussion. This isn't just about sports. It's about your brain. When in doubt, sit it out. Learn more at aan.com slash concussion. That's aan.com slash concussion. A message from the American Academy of Neurology. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. This is James Fox, director of The Phenomenon and Moment of Contact. You're listening to 
the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Let's jump back to this guy, Grush. Is it possible he's a put-up job? They're putting him out there to just draw the attention to what he says, then basically expose it all, or he makes himself look foolish because he can't verify anything, and that's the end of it. You know, that's one scenario that has been proposed that is some kind of a massive disinformation campaign. And look how well the the Air Force did in the mid-1990s by investigating the Roswell crash and coming out with the nonsensical Project Mogul explanation. That's possible, but I don't think so. I think it's more that he's um, moving to maybe find himself on the UFO lecture circuit, which can be lucrative if you've got a really good story. And I mean, he has interesting credentials. He was Air Force intelligence officer a number of years. He served a tour, I think, in Afghanistan. I noticed he had no combat action ribbon. And his highest award was the Meritorious Service Medal, which I never thought was that impressive. He talks about how he was involved in uh, these various clandestine organizations like the NRO and things like that. So he had asked him the credentials. But I just don't get the feel that it's something the government has put together to divert attention. I think he's just operating on his own. And it may be that he just heard these stories and he accepted them all as true. And he thought we should all be privy to the story. So he that was the way this is the way he's going about getting the information out there. I guess the assumption here then is possibly he's serious. Possibly he means what he says, but that people are telling him things and maybe he's coming to the public, making this public to smoke him out. I think he believes what he's being told. I think he's overheard conversation. I mean, when I was in Air Force intelligence, I got an awful lot of inside UFO stories, too. My favorite was about the Kinross disappearance, the F-89 that disappeared uh, off radar when it merged with a UFO in 1953, I think it was. I actually ran into some people who had been at the base at the time. And so we were talking about that disappearance. And he said, one of the guys told me that there had been uh, two schools of thought at the base, which was uh, one of them was the um, UFO took them, took the pilots and the the aircraft. The other one was it crashed into the lake. One of the guys told me that they, sometime after this event, I don't know if it was days or weeks, they found themselves being paced by some kind of craft. And the flight leader finally said, well, let's turn into it, see what happens. And they turned toward it and the thing shot off into the distance. So, I mean, I was privy to these sorts of things because people knew of my interest in UFOs and we discussed it periodically. So, I I think that some of what he's heard is these same kind of stories that don't have a good good basis. They don't have a good foundation. You've overheard a story, but you don't know the facts and you haven't vetted it to chase it it down to its ultimate source. And that's one of the problems with the UFO field. I do something on the blog I've talked about periodically called Chasing Footnotes. And you read a story in a a UFO book or or whatever, and the the author has a footnote where the information came from. So I I go to the new source and see if I can find out more and I, I try to chase it to the end and one of the best examples is I was looking for any stories about disc shaped objects prior just prior to Kenneth Arnold because the skeptical idea is Arnold talked about 
saucer skipping across the pond, but the saucers he saw were not saucers, they were crescent-shaped object, and other people started reporting the saucers, which would suggest contamination. So I was looking for stories that were published just prior to that, and one of the things that I, I came across was Frank Edwards was talking about a, a sighting in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, by a railroad engineer he reported it on the same afternoon as Arnold, I think it was, same afternoon. So clearly, the Arnold story couldn't have contaminated him. And I finally chased the story down to the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And it turned out the railroad engineer wasn't from Cedar Rapids. He was from Peoria, Illinois. And he didn't report the sighting until three days, I think, after the Arnold sighting. So it didn't help me out. It's maybe a great sighting and everything, but the, the point is, the initial story was it happened Either, either with the Arnold sighting or uh, maybe before it, but it was reported before the Arnold sighting took national news, and it would have been great to have this thing and say, Jesse talked about disc-shaped objects before Arnold, but it turned out that that wasn't the case. And I think too often in the UFO field, we run into this where a writer or a researcher makes a mistake, an honest mistake, in the original telling of a tale, and that gets magnified in each tale, sort of like the game of telephone, it gets magnified. And so you need to go back to the original source. And I think part of what Grush is talking about are things that he's overheard, the stories he's heard, and we don't know, A, who told them the story, and we don't know the original source of that story. And if we can vet that out, it may validate what he says, or it may be like this story from the Cedar Rapids Gazette, or the Frank Edwards said was from the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and it, it turned out not to be um, from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, but it was from Peoria, Illinois. So we've got to look at all of that sort of thing. So this could be second, third-hand stuff he's getting. Somebody we he worked with says, well, they did this. How do you know? I heard about it from this person I'm working for, and the only way to know would be to really track it down, and he can't do that. He has said, I think, during the during the interview that he had talked to people who did have firsthand knowledge, but we don't know who they are. And we don't know if they really had firsthand knowledge. It's like I've talked to Bill Brazel, for example, handled the metallic debris that, that, that his father had found. I didn't see the metallic debris, but I talked to the firsthand witness. And so we don't know. So so I begin talking to somebody about this metallic debris and what it looked like. And you overhear that. And you say, well, it's, the source is Kevin Randall. Well, it's really not. It's Bill Brazel. And we don't know this with what Grush has told us. We don't have any of the names. We just have a couple of references that 50% don't check out. And we don't know where he heard the stories, what he heard the stories, how he came across the stories. Was there documentation? He alleges there's documentation. He alleges that he can give the names, but he can't give them in an open forum. And, and so we're right back to the argument about transparency. Well, all the discussion, the, the first discussion that we're talking about in this thing today was about transparency. They all mentioned transparency. They just harped on this transparency. And yet when we get to the bottom, we don't have that transparency. Wouldn't it be logical to therefore make an inquiry of his employers or former employers to allow him to be released of his security requirements so we can speak in public about this? That would be that would be something that the Congress would have to do, because if you or I send a letter and say, you know, you need to do this, um, the laughter would be so loud we'd hear it wherever we are. Well, I'm looking for laughter. We need laughter. Does anyone remember laughter? But seriously, what I'm saying is, obviously, the members of Congress would have to request yes. of his employers that he be released of a security 
constraints and be allowed to speak in public. Well, part of it would be the DOD would have to do it. And the DOD and, and, and through the Aero Project and all of that stuff is saying, well, we have no, we've seen no evidence that there's crashes. There's no evidence of alien artifacts. There's no cra- evidence of alien bodies. And then we can go back to Barry Goldwater for crying out loud. And I've got a letter signed by Barry Goldwater. We was denied access to the Blue Room. It wasn't that it didn't exist or anything like that. The Blue Room being at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base where the alien artifacts are stored. And Barry Goldwater, who was a major general, I think, in the the Air Force Reserve asked his pal Curtis LeMay to see the Blue Room, and, and Goldwater says that it was the only time that uh, LeMay got mad at him. He said, not only no, but hell no, and if you ever ask me again, I'll court-martial you. Well, he really couldn't court-martial him because, you know, the defense would be, well, there's this Blue Room, and you've kind of admitted it's there. But but the point really is, there's, there's Barry Goldwater, who attempted to learn some of this stuff, and we have the documentation to prove it. We have uh, Edwin Easley, like I said, uh, Easley told me that he couldn't talk about it because he promised the president he wouldn't. Well, did Edwin Easley, a major at the Roswell Army Airfield, really talk to Harry Truman back in 1947? Or did Major Easley talk to a Secret Service representative, uh, Harry Truman's representative, promising that Secret Service agent that he wouldn't talk about it, which would be essentially the same thing. We've got Kevin, Gene, Tim. Tim, you're in. The Pericast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. If you love mysteries, you'll love these two books by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. In Mimics, The Others Among Us, you'll learn about the strange beings that can look like us, but are not. In Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters, you'll see the hard evidence of UFOs that has been ignored or even hidden. These books will definitely blow your mind, and both are now available on Amazon.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. Silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at Silverlungs.com. That's Silverlungs.com. G'day, I'm Jamel that works with Dr. Joel Wallach and the GCN team with Longevity at TeamG'day.com. By becoming an associate, you provide income for you and your family on your own hours while working from home. So contact me, Jamel, by filling in the contact box at TeamG'day.com and I will get back to you personally and provide all the support you need to get started and build your longevity business. TeamG'day.com. TeamG'day.com.
I had no idea it would destroy my life. But before it happened, I had a successful business in Austin, Texas. Everyone laughed at me when I shut that business down, but I could not ignore the wake-up call. I was volunteering on a project to get locally grown food into a school. That project was a complete failure, and I discovered that there were few local farmers, there's only four days worth of food in the grocery stores, and everything comes 1,500 miles via a just-in-time trucking system. I lost friends and family who told me I was crazy to worry about that, but I kept at it. I'm Marjorie Wildcraft. Those of us who know what's going on in the world know you need to become self-reliant before the dollar collapses. I've created a free webinar at GCNfood.com. I can show you, like I've shown hundreds of thousands of people, how to grow lots of food, even if you have no experience, you're older, or you're out of shape. Do it now, before the stores are boarded up and food is not available at any price. Go to GCNfood.com. GCNfood.com. Wellness and self-care doesn't have to be complicated. So keep it simple and take good care of yourself with Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Our heating pads soothe pains in the neck, back, and shoulders while relaxing muscles and increasing blood circulation. Sunny Bay Heating Pads have always been made in the USA and hand-filled to perfection with the highest quality materials. Sunny Bay Heating Pads are the perfect wellness gift for loved ones or yourself. See all of our high-quality products at sunny-bay.com including heated body pads, neck pillows, heated neck and body wraps, and our stress-reducing lavender line. They're all affordable, durable, and in stock now and ready for immediate shipping direct from sunny-bay.com. Read our trusted, authentic, and real reviews at sunny-bay.com or just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pad. To your good health and wellness from Sunny Bay. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So we're looking into classified information, whistleblowers, and a lot of other things. And Kevin was in the middle of the presentation I want to pick up on, Kevin. Well, I was just going to say that, that there was a letter from the Secret Service to Easley thanking him for his cooperation. Well, that kind of corroborates some of what Easley said, and not to mention all the other people at Roswell who were involved in this sort of thing. But, I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff that, that you need to do. Easley was hesitant to talk to us. A guy named Barrowclaw, who was the uh, executive officer in Roswell in 1947, Called it all nonsense, but every other member of Colonel Blanchard's staff, he being the commanding officer in Roswell in 1947, actually corroborated the idea of an alien spacecraft. So, I mean, we, we named the names, and today we got no names. We don't know who the people were, and, it, and, it, and, it, and we don't know how far separated they are from the original information. We don't know if they saw the stuff themselves, although Rush seems to indicate that some of the witnesses were firsthand and they saw it themselves, but we don't know who they are, so it really does us no good. Well, as he said, he'd say what's going on in private, what he can't say in public, but then it's up to the members of Congress to initiate those private hearings. The problem is when these guys are being, and these gals are being interviewed, Nobody asks him these very logical questions. Okay, this guy says he's got secret information. 
convene in private and get the information. If not, give it to the Intelligence Committee to get it. During during the, the meeting today, they did ask a number of times, can we have this in a private session? Can we get to this? And he said, absolutely. But we're still arguing about the private sessions and what he says there. And if he gives it in a private session, it's still classified information. We're not going to have access to it. So it doesn't do us any good. It might do the, the congressional investigators, the con- Congress people, some good, but it doesn't do us any good. But, but the other side of that coin is we've been arguing about this for, what, three years now, when the Congress dictated that we would have to have a, a review of the classified material based on what Leslie Keene and Blumenthal, I forget Blumenthal's first name. Yeah, Ralph. Um, Ralph, yeah, Ralph, in the New York Times and kind of sparked some of this stuff. And they're setting up committees. And every time I, I, I watch one of these things, it's all the same sort of thing. Well, here are the logistics, and here's what we're attempting to do. And by the way, um, uh, we're not going to share any information. And that, and that's where we are again today. We have the same people, the, the same three guys talking about what they did. We know the two Navy pilots. We've had their stories for years. It, it hasn't gone anywhere. Um, I don't think that uh, Fravor, when he was talking about it, the, the Tic Tac being on radar, it wasn't on his uh, radar in his aircraft, but it was in the on the radar in one of the other aircraft, and it was on the radar in a number of the ships in the fleet. But still, that really doesn't take us anywhere. Um, and and so here we are, way down the road, and uh, we're still talking about setting up the investigation and who's going to be doing what and how it's going to operate. And do you have knowledge about this? Well, yes, I do, but I can't tell you about that. So there we go. At least the hearing didn't have quite the circus atmosphere of a few others I shan't name. Well, Berlinson, who's uh, one of the representatives, kept talking about how these UFOs come from billions of light years away. And I'm thinking, no, they don't. They're inside our galaxy, so at best they would be tens of thousands of light years away. But the closest star is, um, what, 4.1 light years away, 4.3 light years away, Proxima Centauri. It's part of a triple star system. Yes. So if they defeated the speed of light problem, they could get here. But he was worried about, well, they've defeated these things, and then they come here and crash. Well, you know, there's always somebody that pushes the wrong button. Or they got it from the lowest bidder, or somebody made a mistake in the assembly and something went wrong. Um, you know, no matter how careful we are with our technology and 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 the improvements we make into our uh, technology, there's still things go wrong. And so there you are. It would be nice to know what the twelve crashes he's talking about are. That would be a nice thing to know. We know two of them, I think, Roswell and this Italian thing. But if he's going to be talking about Aztec or um, any of any of the others, I've, I, I did the book Crash When UFOs Fall from the Sky, and there's I think there's 115 alleged crashes in there. Most of them aren't really crashes. It's just mistakes. There's websites with upwards of 300, 350 crashes listed there. I mean, these things are raining out of the sky. Um, and you would think in that case we'd have a lot more information. I think you know. I think we can postulate. Well, we know Roswell was probably an alien spacecraft. And there's a couple of other places may have been, but um, it's just not as widespread as people people believe. We need we need the information. I guess the point is we need the information so we can vet this stuff and find out what's really going on. When you mentioned the congressman who was talking about billions of light years, I was thinking, you know what? He watched too many episodes of Stargate SG-1. 
<laughs> well, but they were still inside our galaxy. I don't. Well, they, they didn't get in, outside our galaxy until the last um, episodes when they were dealing with the Ori. Right, but, but it, they also left the galaxy when they had Stargate Atlantis. Oh, I never watched Stargate Atlantis because Colonel O'Neill wasn't in it. Well, he left the series for the most part in the last two seasons because yes. supposedly he wanted to spend more time with his young daughter. And and he probably had all the money he needed by that point. So, And he probably, because he, he and his pal developed uh, the Stargate TV series and all the offshoots, he was probably getting money from that as well. Well, he was listed as an executive producer. The name Richard Dean Anderson came ahead of the, the title of the show, meaning that he yes. had a very elevated position, maybe because of MacGyver, I don't know. But certainly attaching him to this project with a lot of people who were less well-known is one thing that got it originally on oh, yeah. cable TV. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I had a friend who... Um, in the National Guard, and he just got promoted to colonel, and then he was going to retire. And I, I said something about hanging around to make Brigadier General. And he says, well, it was, it's good enough for Colonel O'Neill. It's good enough for me. And I said, but he became a Brigadier General at the end of the series. <laughs> but I thought that was kind of funny. This guy said, if, if being a colonel is good enough for Colonel O'Neill is good enough for me. It's interesting, though, to look at the difference in the characters in the movie Kurt Russell plays. O'Neill, very stiff, very rigid. Whereas in the TV show, he's relaxed, he's easygoing, he's got this sense of humor. It's like a totally opposite person. Yes, yes, and and, and but quite competent in what he's doing, and he's got a good team with him. Um, you know, um, Samantha was the the tech guy, and and Daniel Jackson was the historian type thing and of course Tilk was the <laughs> spy into the Gauld so I say all this so you know that I actually watched the series too <laughs> I like the series as you say I prefer the first eight seasons yes when they were yeah before they got into the Ori that just was too much and if you wanted to learn Egyptian mythology and some Norse mythology then you could learn it through through the series too because an awful lot of the stuff dealt with the the gods of Egypt, and then they moved into the North mythology with the um, uh, the little gray guys whose name escapes me at the moment. Okay, the Asgard. Asgard, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Next I'm sorry that I've seen mythology. every episode at least three times. <laughs> well, if you I, have the right people, you, you have to look at also decisions for hiring people. Like, for example... The reason Michael Shanks was hired to be Dr. Daniel Jackson is because he resembled James Spader, at least the oh, young yeah. James Spader, before he was fat and bald and was Red yeah. Reddington. Yeah, I, I, I noticed that, too. And um, and we got Samantha Carter because um, we needed a, a woman in the cast. So, I think Christopher Judge made a really good teal, although... Although yes. in some respects, he was acting like Spock. Oh, I guess you could say it was sort of Spock-like periodically, but um, he wasn't as rigid as Spock. He wasn't as logical as Spock. So, but Tilk was good, and uh, I liked um, I liked uh, General Hammond too. 
Don S. Davis. In the yes, final the episodes of the series before he was replaced by Bo Bridges, he wasn't in the best of health. I was going to say, I, 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 yeah, he didn't leave the series because they fired him or anything. He, his health went bad. So they bring him back for cameos. Yes. Which and, is pretty, uh, I think it was pretty... I think they showed a lot of respect to the people who were on the show. Anyway, we yes. got a lot more to come with Kevin, Jean, and Tim. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. I am a non-attorney spokesperson representing a team of lawyers who help people that have been injured or wronged. If you've been involved in a serious car, truck, or motorcycle accident, or injured at work, you have rights, and you may be entitled to money for your suffering. Don't accept an offer you get from an insurance company until you talk to a lawyer. And we represent some of the best personal injury lawyers you can find. Tough lawyers that will fight to win your case. And they're so good, they stake their reputation on it by only getting paid if you win. So if you've been in a serious car, truck, or motorcycle accident, or hurt on the job, find out today for free what kind of compensation you may be entitled to. Call the legal helpline right now. 800-524-3810-800-524-3810-800-524-3810. That's 800-524-3810. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Now, in retrospect here, a guy named Cliff Simon, the actor from, I think, New Zealand or Australia, who played Baal, the gold in a lot of the episodes, with and without the echo... He had an interest in the paranormal. And I thought, um, let me write to the guy because this is years after Stargate. Maybe he's not so famous and he'll respond. And like a week later, he died in an accident. <laughs> Opportunities lost. Well, here's, here, here's a story that's sort of like that. 
Tom Carey was looking for a guy named Danson, who was an archaeologist, anthropologist back in the 40s and 50s. And he actually got to him through Ted Danson, his son. Yeah, Ted Danson, the actor. So I thought it was kind of interesting. We we got to the the anthropologist that we needed to talk to through the through the sun. So some of these things work out. They sure do. They sure do. Let's get back to supposedly the real world, not the fake <laughs> world. You know. Although we don't know. We might be in a twilight zone here where we do not know what's going on. In any case, it's like every hearing they hold in Congress is a repetition of the previous hearing. Well, we've got all this stuff going on. We've explained some of it. We can't explain other things. But there's no evidence that it's E.T., off-world, or whatever. But we've got people around who believe it is E.T., not just the guy who was talking about billions of light years, but the late Senator Harry Reid. My impression is, based on what he said, he was an E.T. guy. Even Mellon, I think, is. I think there's a quote out from Mellon from around 2016, I think it's Mellon, where he was suggesting there was no alien visitation. And so he has become enlightened, flip-flopped, however you want to phrase it. Isn't that the definition of politician? But is Mellon a politician or is he a bureaucrat? Well, he was a deputy secretary of defense, being a presidential appointee well that's but that's not really a politician it's more of a bureaucrat which is a whole different argument doesn't matter i don't think the question i have here is if Mellon knew this guy grush for a number of years he's been around for a while even though we only heard from him recently and whatever it is if Mellon is vouching for him maybe he isn't a good judge of character or He's basically saying that he's part of it. Well, here's a question for you, then. Wasn't Mellon part of the, to the Stars Academy? Well, nobody's perfect. Well, I'm, I'm just suggesting that Mellon may not be the most credible of sources here. Well, and, maybe he and, just fell for the spiel they were presenting, because he's gone from to the Stars Academy. Luis Elizondo had a presence there. One or two other people of some prominence, they're all gone and to the Stars Academy is what and where? Well, the point simply is, you know, we're looking at the same cast of characters today that were involved with the to the Stars Academy and some of this other stuff that just slid off the rails. And and, and with the to the Stars Academy, we didn't have... Uh, good sources for that. We didn't have good vetting on that. We had people showing up talking about, well, we have pieces of metal that came from the Roswell crash. Well, how do you know that? What's your what's your uh, evidence for that? Where did it come from? And 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 so I, what I'm saying is we're we're kind of in the same place. We now got a new a new crew, but we've got some of the old people, and we still don't have any of the things that we need from the outside to vet the information and vet the sources. And that's what we need before we climb aboard the train, I guess. It's like we're in an echo chamber. We hear the same thing over and over again since 2017. Well, actually, Not to to denigrate Ralph Blumenthal, who won the Pulitzer Prize (laughs) for heading the coverage of the 1993 World Trade Center disaster. Leslie Kane, who is certainly a pretty serious woman, they took Grush very seriously, but if you look at the history of the article, 
It was presented to the New York Times, and they were taking a lot of time to vet the article. It was presented to the Washington Post, ditto. And finally, it ended up in Debrief, which is an online publication from M.J. Benias and Micah Hanks. Well, and then that's a very good point. But I was going to say, we've been through this before, not with this cast of characters. We can go back to the beginning of the UFO field and with a whole different cast of characters coming out and talking about UFOs. And then the next thing we know, it's all gone away. And we've run through that a number of times. 1952, to, to move us toward the Washington Nationals, um, we had those the sightings in, over Washington, D.C., And then six months later, we had the Robertson panel, which was commissioned to study UFOs and find out if there's anything to it. And they said, no, we looked at it. There's nothing to it. And the um, mission of Project Blue Book, rather than to investigate UFOs from that point on, became to a public relations outfit to kind of explain away the mystery. Then we had the Condon Committee in 1969 at the University of Colorado, and they were going to do a scientific study of UFOs. And what we find out from that is before the investigation began, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robert Hippler wrote to Dr. Robert Lowe of the Condon Committee, Hippler being an Air Force officer, and said, here's what we would like you to find. The Air Force did a good job investigating UFOs. There's nothing to it. And it doesn't affect national security. And lo and behold, 18 months later, that's exactly what they found. And so now we're moving to this latest um, activity, which has gone on for literally years now, um, with all kinds of government participants. I watched the NASA meetings. I've watched the um, hearing, the Senate hearings. Uh, and, and where are we? Uh, we've got Grush saying, I can't get into the specifics here. Uh, we've got uh, the two Navy pilots talking about what they've talked about for the last, what, six years. We've, we, we're no further along today than we were back when Leslie Keene and Ralph Blumenthal published their original article in the New York Times. The other person, remember, who wrote the article was Helene Cooper, who's the Pentagon correspondent for the Times. More to the point, if this article had not been written and published... Would we be talking about any of this right now? Maybe, because this stuff has come up. Don Schmidt and I began an investigation of Roswell in 1990, and the next thing you know, uh, the Air Force is reinvestigating the Roswell case. We actually triggered that investigation because of what we were saying and what we were doing and the kind of publicity we were getting, uh, albeit not all of it great, but was still people were talking about it until the Air Force came out and says, yeah, it's a Project Mogul balloon and anthropomorphic dummies for crying out loud. But the, the point is, something would have triggered it. I, I looked at the um, cycles in the UFO field, and we can see that there's periodically something happens and it fires the public imagination. Um 1973, nobody's really talking about UFOs, and, and, and then it became national news when Hickson and Parker were abducted. And then it, there was all kinds of stuff going on about UFOs at the time, and, and we can look at other times when that's happened. So there's, I, I think we would be talking about it maybe not today, maybe it'd be three or four years down the road, maybe it would have been a little bit earlier, but we would have been talking about it because it always comes back. It always becomes something that people want to talk about. So if it wasn't this, it'd be another thing. 
Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. It was something would have come up, and it would have been this or something else. Like the person on Saturday Night Live said, if it's not one thing, it's another. Yes, yes. But I, I, but I think, you know, it's, it's well, in 1966, for example, we had the sightings in Michigan that uh, interested um, Gerald Ford. And I think that culminated in the Air Force response and the uh, attempting to find a uh, organization to investigate UFOs the way they wanted investigated investigated, and that's how they ended up at the University of Colorado because a number of other um, universities have been approached and, and didn't want to do it. Well, at least so now, the- if you approach a university and ask them to study UAPs, you know, after all, we do have Dr. Avi Loeb. Anyway, we got more to come with Tim and Gene and Kevin. You're in the Paracast. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about after the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, the Paracast dot plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out the Paracast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. G'day, I'm Jamel that works with Dr. Joel Wallach and the GCN team with Longevity at TeamG'day.com. By becoming an associate, you provide income for you and your family on your own hours while working from home. So contact me, Jamel, by filling in the contact box at TeamG'day.com and I will get back to you personally and provide all the support you need to get started and build your longevity business. TeamG'day.com. TeamG'day.com. Attention, your money is now controlled by the U.S. government. Picture a world where your every purchase is monitored, tracked, and controlled by those in power to suppress the freedoms of those they see fit. Hi, my name is Jason Hansen. I'm a former CIA officer and New York Times bestselling author. And right now, 
I become very focused on the impending rollout of the central bank digital currency. This is not a work of fiction. It's a terrifying reality looming on the horizon. But there is a bit of good news. I've partnered with Advantage Gold to offer you a solution. They are specialists in converting your traditional assets, like those inside an IRA or 401k, into tangible assets such as physical gold and silver. Don't allow your money to be controlled. Claim your free gold protection kit from Advantage Gold. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Call 800-900-8000. Anyone can fall victim to moving fraud. Know your rights and responsibilities. There was never really a valid contract. Movers must always give written estimates. I was bound to an estimate, but it was after the fact. Be sure that any document is complete before signing it, and that it includes information to determine the final charges. It was a version that I had not seen before. Visit protectyourmove.gov to download a free moving fraud prevention guide. Search for registered movers and view their complaint histories. Move with confidence. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. And by the way, folks, Kevin Randall will stick with us for the After the Paracast podcast because we never run out of things to say with him. The most I, I recent, will? You will. <laughs> yes, you are. We're holding you down, okay. feet to the fire. The Washington Nationals flying saucers over the Capitol. That's his most recent book. And I'm going to ask him more about it. This is like a, a new version of a book called Invasion Washington. But I like the title now much better. For sports enthusiasts, it's especially good. But we're talking here about the modern interest in UAPs, the alleged whistleblower, David Grush. Now, let me ask you about that, too. With Luis Elizondo, he's not really a whistleblower. He's just somebody who worked there and came out and decided, I think, to profit on what he did. And there is a profit motive. I think there's people out there who think that you can make an awful lot of money off flying saucers if you tell the proper story. And in talking to Jan Herzog, who was at one time the executive director of MUFON, about some of the invitations to their symposium, uh, he was more interested in having people come to the symposium than presenting good scientific analysis of the phenomenon. And so there are people, they would pay good money to come and lecture and, and you can get invited to an awful lot of conferences around, literally around the world, if you have a good enough story and and you are a good enough storyteller. So you have to take a look at that. But I don't think it's a, I don't think it's really a place where a lot of people can make a lot of money. I think that you know it's really kind of a, a narrow point to get to. Of course, remember Jim Mosley's only serious book, shockingly close to the truth that he wrote with Carl Plough. He had an advance, and this was placed through an agent, by the way. I did better without an agent, although I got one later. He got $4,000 advance, two authors, right? $4,000. Now, for him to make another dime, and Kevin knows this, of course, and I know this, and certainly Tim does, we've all done books, you have to sell enough books so that your royalty exceeds that $4,000. Otherwise, you don't get a dime. Now... Some years later, 
His publisher contacts Jim and says, we'll sell you our remaining stock at a big discount, which Jim did not take advantage of for obvious reasons. Therefore, the book never earned out. I don't know how many UFO books earn any money. Mine have earned out. The number of them have earned out. So there have been subsequent royalty checks. The first one, the first book I did, the UFO case book back in 1989, what I could not believe, the book earned out pretty quickly. And so we proposed a second book to him and the publisher wasn't interested. I'm thinking the book earned out, man. The other thing you should point out, though, is that the writer gets very little of the cover price. So you're looking at a book that costs $20 and you're thinking, well, they sell a book that's $20 into the uh, writer's pocket. No, uh, we're lucky if we get 10% of the cover price. The lion's share goes to the distributors and the bookstores. So. It's like being in the record industry. You're recording a pop song and millions of copies are sold of that pop song. And you may get pennies on each unit sale. Or you may get ripped off, like Tommy James and the Shondells. Tommy James got ripped off tremendously for selling like 50 million records. 50 million records. My God, he's a multimillionaire. Maybe he is now. But he got ripped off. John Fogarty. Creedence Clearwater Revival sold we, we tens of millions. We don't even have to talk about the record industry. I can talk about my own experiences in that respect. Uh, sure. Bob Cornett and I wrote a, 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 began a series of books called um, Scorpion Squad, and uh, they published all four books. We didn't even get paid the entire advance. So, uh, oh, yeah, because it was it was, it was you know as you probably know it's not you don't if you if you get a four thousand dollar advance you don't necessarily get four thousand dollars up front. There's conditions for it. when you turn in the uh, an acceptable manuscript when it does this when it does that then you get additional cash. And so the way that, because it was set up for four book series, the way it was set up, um, we did not get all the cash up front. We got part of it. And then the publisher uh, didn't, didn't give us the money for the last book. So, you know, it's just a bad deal all around. It's like you think of movies that supposedly are money losers. And we know obvious things like the last Indiana Jones movie and The Flash. But the Men in Black movie, Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, J and K and that thing, it grossed $600 million, I think, for Sony. It cost $90 million to make. You think, wow, that movie earned tens of millions for people. Yeah, but on the books, it's carried as a money loser. The, um, the I know one of the things they do is it costs X number of dollars to make the movie. Then you double that for the marketing. Right. And then, of course, they've got to pay the distributors. They've got to pay the uh, theater owners and all of that stuff. But I don't really um, have much sympathy for the the movie industry because they ripped me off, too. So there you go. The average wage of an actor, a member of SAG and AFTRA, is $27.17 per hour. That's when they're working. The problem is the average salary is $10,000 a year. So we have tens of thousands of actors who are earning nothing. They're barely breaking even. In fact, the stars of a cable... Well, I think it was a streaming services hit show. 
had to have a second job like at a fast food place to pay the bills. Sure, we have Tom Cruise and Dwayne Johnson and people like that or others, Robert Downey Jr., who make tens of millions of dollars on their product. But for every one of those people, there's 10,000 who don't earn more than a few dimes. Well, we can say the same thing about writers. Of course. You know, um, if the books don't earn out, I think at one point they were talking about uh, the hourly wage for a writer works out to about a buck and a half an hour. <laughs> that high? And, <laughs> and, 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 and you know, but, it, but the, the idea is you put in the time at the lower end of the spectrum, hoping that you become the next Stephen King or the next J.K. Rowling. And unfortunately, the gods don't reach down and touch all of us on the shoulder. So uh, we we toil for a little bit of money. I'd, you know, people think that, that I got rich writing UFO books. That's simply untrue. So... And I, I, I told I, Philip Class made a big deal about the UFO crash at Roswell book and what what we were paid for the advance, which wasn't all that great. And I and I told him I would I would have written the book for nothing. It was a story I wanted to tell. And sometimes that's where it is in in the UFO field or even in the fiction field or whatever field you're in. Sometimes you have a story you just have to tell, and you're not worried about the returns you're, you just want it, you want people to see the story you want people to be to get into the story and understand what's going on hey we're going to have a lot more to talk about with Kevin Randall and Tim Swartz and Gene Steinberg and who knows who else might turn up maybe, maybe some, some invisible, invisible beings, beings will send us weird messages, messages. more to come you're in for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. USA News Update. Two people are in critical condition after shots were fired at a community outreach event Friday night in Seattle. Police say at least two suspects are being sought. Former President Trump is mocking fellow Republican presidential candidate Will Hurd, who said Trump was only running for president to stay out of prison, unquote. Trump responded on social media calling Hurd a, quote, little-known failed former congressman. At least eight dogs have died while being transported to a canine training facility in Indiana. More than a dozen German shepherds were being driven from the Chicago O'Hare International Airport when the air conditioning unit stopped working. 
The National Weather Service says some relief is on the way for the Midwest and Northeast as a cold front pushes south from Canada. That will set the stage for thunderstorms and milder temperatures across the region into next week. Jerry Barmash, USA News. If we've learned anything from recent news, it's that unexpected things are happening. Your gut tells you there's something very wrong going on, and all the evidence suggests that there is. Government emails are hacked. There's talk of how to fight World War III, and trade of grains and food are being disrupted. Those in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. It's time to invest in self-reliance and emergency food storage now, more than ever. My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest emergency preparedness company, is the place you can trust. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contains tasty breakfasts, lunch, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Get at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save 25%, plus get free shipping on all their three-month emergency food kits. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today. It's time to prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com I had no idea it would destroy my life. But before it happened, I had a successful business in Austin, Texas. Everyone laughed at me when I shut that business down, but I could not ignore the wake-up call. I was volunteering on a project to get locally grown food into a school. That project was a complete failure, and I discovered that there were few local farmers, there's only four days' worth of food in the grocery stores, and everything comes 1,500 miles via a just-in-time trucking system. I lost friends and family who told me I was crazy to worry about that, but I kept at it. I'm Marjorie Wildcraft. Those of us who know what's going on in the world know you need to become self-reliant before the dollar collapses. I've created a free webinar at GCNfood.com. I can show you, like I've shown hundreds of thousands of people, how to grow lots of food, even if you have no experience, you're older, or you're out of shape. Do it now, before the stores are boarded up and food is not available at any price. Go to GCNfood.com. GCNfood.com. Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. My best-selling books were using AOL from 1994 and using AOL Second Edition. And I'll reveal the figure because it never happened again. One quarterly advance payment from the publisher for one of those AOL books was $64,000. Never happened again, not even close to it. That's a nice chunk of change. Oh yeah, it's like getting a year's income. It was just so terrific. But then the next year, forget about it. Well, uh, Bob Cornett and I did a series of books called The Vietnam Ground Zero. And of course we're splitting the advance and we have to pay the agent. And so, uh, when, when when you figure all of that in, it wasn't all that great. And then our royalties from those books were pennies. It wasn't even like 10% of the cover price. It was literally pennies. And so the, the way we made any money was to continue to write the books until the, the series ended. But yeah, it just hasn't been. It just, you have to, you have to want to do that. I always felt writing was better than heavy lifting. So I didn't mind. And my other job was I was in the I was in the military, the reserve, and then the National Guard, and that was paying a nice piece of change for uh, service. 
until we until we had to go to Iraq. That was kind of a bummer. Well, the thing, of course, also is in the magazine publishing industry, a lot of these small publishers, like a guy named Myron Fast was one that Tim yes. Beckley did some books for. What they would do is they would put out a lot of magazines on different subjects, and they'd live on the advance from the distributor. And it, usually you could sustain this over many issues, even if the magazine was a money loser. And it's almost like a Ponzi scheme, I, I think. You know, you just keep living off these advances, and eventually it stops. But till then, you could at least pay the bills. Well, I always, I always said that I, I went to the University of Iowa on a Saga scholarship. Saga was a men's magazine, not like Playboy or, or Penthouse, but a magazine geared to stories that men would be interested in. And they did, U, they did UFO stuff. And then they started doing UFO report. And the payment for an article almost, almost covered my tuition for a semester. And so every semester I would, I would luck out and get a an article published in there, published there, and could pay my my tuition that way. And then there were other magazines. At one point, there was like six magazines that were vying for the UFO information, and so I was making a nice little living by writing articles for those magazines under my name and a series of others. And so I could pay my other bills bills that way. And then, of course, I was doing the reserve thing, and that paid additional bills. So, but. You you could yeah you could do that but but the thing was you had to have a nice backlog so that you weren't writing an article that you thought was going to pay me today you had to you, you had to write that article six months ago to get the check and people didn't understand that you write the article and they don't immediately issue the check you have to wait for the you have to wait for them to pay you so. <laughs> And uh, I did an article for Argosy Magazine, and I only mentioned that because my father was impressed that I'd written an article for Argosy Magazine because he remembered his father reading Argosy Magazine back in the 30s. And it, I think it was like the last issue Argosy ever published. And I, I, I sent a letter to the um, the editor there that I was working with, and I said, well, you've got the last article from me. The sheriff's at the door knocking at the door. He's going to repossess my typewriter. I need my money. So... <laughs> How close I there was. My, I helped pay my way through college doing the same thing. That was, a, that was a time when there were a handful of UFO and paranormal-related magazines. Yes. That actually paid money. Yes. But you see, that was a time where you can go to college and get there with a very low tuition. Nowadays, you've got to give them the rest of your life's income, like half of it, for you know, to afford the student loan. Mm. I think in today's environment, if you look around, you can probably avoid that problem of student loans. And you have to be cognizant of what the ramifications are of the student loans. I, I know we had guys, when we went to Iraq, we had guys who had just begun semesters in various universities. And the universities were very kind. They said, don't worry about this. You know, we'll, we'll get you back when you come back. Don't. It's no big deal. But the deal was... You could make literally tens of thousands of dollars from the guard that would help you pay your college if you were willing to do that. And the investment of time wasn't all that great. And I, I didn't understand why more students didn't take advantage of, of that as well. They would help pay for your college, and then you're getting paid for being in the guard. And 
then you get called up and go to Iraq, which was kind of a bummer. But, uh, but I mean, I, I think that part of the problem with student loans is it's kind of a lazy way of paying for your college. You don't think about paying it back. You think instead of having to work your way through college, which a lot of us did, I was lucky because I could do it by writing magazine articles and being in the National Guard and things like that. But uh, I don't I, I think a lot of the students think of it as a way. Well, I'm, I'm I don't have to work. I can just concentrate on my studies. Let's get into the political aspects on a different show. I'm going to get back to flying saucers. Let's talk, call them flying saucers again. I still like okay. that term. I'm on board. Okay, Tim, you've got more questions from our audience. Yeah, we've got, um, and this this is going to uh, your Washington Nationals book, and this one, this is from Sign Flosser, skilled investigator. Sounds like sounds like an old radio program. Sign Flosser, <laughs> skilled investigator. Let me do it for you. Sign philosopher, skilled investigator, and gay. No, that's not it. Go, go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, uh, let's see. Mr. Flosser says that uh, he's just finished the audiobook version of the Washington Nash- Nationals, and he uh, and he says it's great that some of your books were available in audio form. He says, in this book, you thoroughly explain why the objects seen in the skies over Washington, D.C. on those two consecutive weekends in 1952 were solid and apparently intelligently controlled, ruling out the temperature inversion explanation. So his question is, why are there no known photographs of the objects over D.C., especially from the second weekend, because you'd think that the, that after the first weekend, saucer buffs and shutterbugs would have been primed to watch the skies for a while. Why no photographs? Why, while the people might have been primed to watch the skies, um, back in 1952, there wasn't the prevalence of cameras that we have today. You had to have film, and you had to have film of sufficient quality that it would pick up the object. And I think I think if, if somebody attempted to photograph the objects in the Washington sky, they may have gotten a nice picture of the sky as opposed to anything in it. I think that I think you have to look at all of that stuff. Uh, there are other pictures from 1952. Uh, there just aren't any from those two consecutive weekends. And the other thing you have to remember the is the uh, objects didn't show up until after dark. And I know. Um, it really has to do with the speed of the film, I think. You needed a high-quality, high-speed film to be able to photograph the things. With the um, Lubbock Lights back in 1951, just the year before, there's the, the photographs that Carl Hart Jr. took. But the um, photo editor for the Avalanche Journal, which is the Lubbock newspaper, thought that what he had photographed were the uh, lights reflecting off the white breasts of ducks flying in formation. There were no ducks flying in formation in Lubbock at that time that had white breasts, uh, but that's a whole other argument. But he was up on the roof of the building attempting to photograph these dim objects as they went over, and he couldn't do it. So I think it really has to do with the capabilities of the camera, the prevalence of cameras, the time of day that the majority of the sightings took place. I think all worked against having any photographs. In today's environment, you see an event and there's 9,000 people around there photographing it with their cell phones, which are incredibly good cameras now. 
We've got more to come with Kevin, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Pedicast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. What if Extendivite really works, but you find that hard to believe and you spend precious time looking for someone to say, just try it. I have my help today because of Extendivite, and if I did not take a leap of faith and try it, well, I would be on disability today. Take one bottle of Extendivite as suggested for 60 days to find out for yourself. No need to stop any other meds you may be on. You know by now that they are not working for you. Before the 60 days are up, I know that you will feel Extendivite working for you and will want to take another bottle. Life is too short. Get your Extendivite today. Extendivite is available in capsule or liquid form for just $69.95 for a two-month supply. To get started, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extend Have you ever watched a video on the internet and found yourself waiting for the skip the ad button? The reason this takes a few seconds is because the video delivery companies get to collect impression commission, and the viewer never sees the advertisement. The company still pays full price to run the ad. Does this sound like a scam to you? Is there any wonder why internet ads are so ineffective? For over 100 years, radio has been a proven source for companies' messages. Radio listeners are engaged and want to support the companies that sponsor the shows they're so passionate about. Simple companies like window treatments, security, pillow companies, and more have been able to break away from the big box stores building multi-million dollar businesses. Find out what radio can do for your business. Call 877-996-4327 or advertise at GCNlive.com. That's advertise at GCNlive.com. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to Veterans 
foreign nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. This is Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. I agree with you about the cameras on all those smartphones, billions of them. But the problem is here, taking something way up there in the sky and getting good detail is difficult. They're great for close-up if you have a close UFO sighting and it's, you know, 100 yards away or something. And you take a photo, it's going to look beautiful if you get one. But if it's going to be way up there in the sky, as clear as a bell, not so much if you even remember to take out your phone to take a picture. Well, and back in 1952, people weren't running around with cameras in their hip pockets either, like we are today. You know, everybody's got their cell phone with them. But the other thing is, okay, you take a picture of a, you attempt to take a picture of a point of light in the sky in 1952. And basically what you're probably going to get is a picture of the sky without that point of light showing up. It's just not enough brightness in the film just wasn't that good especially the, the the films that most people were using so i have no problem with that there are pictures from 1952 that are interesting they just were none from the washington nationals and i, I do want to interrupt to say one thing the greatest ufo headline i ever saw was right out of a science fiction movie and it dealt with the 1952 sightings and it was from the cedar rapids gazette banner headline across the front page saucers swarm over capital I mean, there's a science fiction headline if I ever read one. <laughs> I thought it was great. Now, if I recall what, a- what Major Kehoe wrote at the time, the official Air Force explanation was temperature inversions. Is that correct? Yes. So explain what that means and why it wasn't the answer. Well, temperature inversion was you have a layer of cold air over a layer of hot air. So you get a refraction of the atmosphere, not unlike when you put a pencil in a glass of water, you know, how it's bent, you get a refraction. And so the idea was the radar uh, waves, the electronic waves would come out, hit this inversion layer, and then they would uh, divert to the ground, pick up objects on the ground, and then they would bounce back to the radar screen. So you had the temperature inversion was creating the radar picture. Then the next question is, well, what are people looking at? Because there, there were sightings that people were seeing. I talked to both Dewey Fournay and Al Chop, who were in the radar room that night when this was going on, the second night. And one of them, and I think it was Fournay, told me that we had radar experts in there and said, this is, not, this is not a spurious, anomalous propagation here. This is a real solid object. And then you would say, you would, they would call the airlines, or they talked to the airline pilots and says, you know, we've got an object off to your right. Can you see it? And they would say, yes. And so you've got the object showing up on multiple radar screens on the ground, at least three to, at one point, at least three radar screens were showing the same object. And then you've got fighters that were scrambled. And in one case, the fighters radar picked up the object. And so you have 
all of that going on. So it's not just guys seeing lights in the sky. It's people seeing the, the, the lights in the sky, the Air Force pilots trying to chase them down. You've got the radar object scene, uh, the scene, object scene on radar. So you've got multiple chains of evidence going on here. So that kind of rules out the temperature inversion. And then the weather aspect of it suggested that although there were inversion layers in the Washington, D.C. area at the time, they weren't very strong layers. And they wouldn't persist until throughout the night. So uh, you, you've got all these things arguing against the uh, temperature version explanation. I think if, if I read it correctly, and, and I may, be, may have misinterpreted it, but when uh, General Samford was having his press conference in late July 1952 to talk about this, they didn't really have an explanation, and this temperature inversion explanation seemed to grow out of the questioning by the reporters. And I think they kind of jumped on it and said, yeah, that's it. We, we can run with that. I, I got the impression they, it was just something that hadn't been solidified until we get to the press conference. And then because of the way the press conference went, everybody jumped on it. And by the way, the other general officer in the room at the time, this this uh, press conference was Roger Ramey. Yeah, the same guy from the Roswell case some what five years earlier so it's kind of interesting major general roger ramey was was involved in that press conference he doesn't object to being overexposed pardon me he doesn't fear overexposure who ramey yeah that's it's a showbiz well, I, term I, you know I, I, the, the, the Roswell thing, you have to remember the Roswell thing in 1952 is dead. Nobody's talking about Roswell. Nobody cool, cared about it. If you saw anything about Roswell, it usually was, well, it was just a weather balloon and let's forget about it. That story was dead in 1952. You go to the Project Blue Book files, you cannot find a reference to the, um, even the, 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 the explanation. There is one story in, in another file, and I think it's from July 10th, 1947, and, and it, it's a uh, four-paragraph newspaper clipping and all it says is the officers in roswell were, were issued a blistering rebuke for their identification of a flying saucer last week that's the only reference i can find in the project blue book files to roswell so by the time you get to 1952 nobody's talking about it nobody associates roger ramey with it so there, there's really no problem there all of this becomes more evident after after don and i began looking at the 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 Roswell case and we got an awful lot of people interested in it. you remember Bill Moore and Charles Berlitz did a book called the Roswell incident in 1980 and it didn't make much of a splash especially in the UFO community it wasn't until Jesse Marcel came out and began to talk about it and then Don and I began the investigation that the field kind of began to look at the Roswell case more seriously than it had in the past you could find very few references to Roswell at, b before that the Flying Saucer Serious Business by Frank Edwards, chapter four, I think it is, is picking up the pieces. And there's a story, the beginning of that chapter deals with Roswell. It mentions Roswell, it mentions the, ra the rancher, and that's about the only facts he got right in that. Um, he said the Air Force uh, explained it with a pie tin attached to a weather balloon. Well, no, it was a Ray Wynn radar target, but that's a whole other argument. But you got very few stories suggesting something real had happened at Roswell, and Edwards didn't provide any names, so you didn't know who to talk to. Um, and when Jesse Marcel came out, they pretty much ignored the story, except for Len Stringfield, because they didn't know anything about it. And it wasn't until Moore was looking at newspapers from 1947 that he found the picture of Jesse Marcel on the front page of the newspaper, and that gave them the date of when it happened and where it happened. So. Uh, 
you know, you have to look at all of that. But in today's environment, everybody knows where Roswell, what Roswell is or what it means. It was even a clue on Jeopardy once that it's so well known. But it wasn't until after 1990 that all that information began to, to, to seep out into the public arena. So Ramey being at that Prince conference meant nothing to nobody. Nobody associated him with the weather balloon in, in Fort Worth in 1950 or 1947. What about that... Uh that photograph that allegedly was taken of the fleet of UFOs over the uh, Capitol building. I think it was supposed to be over the second weekend of uh, the, the, the UFO flap. I mean, you could read a UFO book from the uh, 1960s without that photograph being included. Absolutely. And it's a hoax. And it's obviously a double exposure. So it's, it, 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 I think it's a pretty well established as a hoax, but yeah, you, you've got that. There were other pictures from 1952, um, not quite that spectacular. You got the the um, Salem, Massachusetts picture taken by the Coast Guard man and the four lights in the sky, which of course the um, Project Blue Book I think has said reflections on the windows, uh, and I'm thinking, okay, so if the four lights were reflection on the windows and the guy standing inside took pictures of the reflections on the windows, how come those reflections of the uh, on the windows never appeared again? You know, it's the internal lighting source, lighting the windows, certainly the circumstances would have repeated themselves and they would have said, oh, yeah, that's that's what we saw. Uh, but there are other there are other better pictures than that that one that uh, picture of the fleet over the Washington Nationals and the Capitol building Capitol building yeah that's that's a pretty well established a hoax yeah and you can still see uh, uh, places using that photograph I think somebody has even gone and made a video. That was allegedly, you know, it was supposed to be taken from like a 16 millimeter uh, uh, film at the time of uh, of that. But you can tell very easily that it's uh, a CGI. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, the other problem is, is well, on the on the original cover of the UFO crash at Roswell, um, the picture was, well, a well-known, well-known contactee hoax. I don't. I can't. I, I'm thinking it was Dan Fry who supposedly took the picture. That might not be wrong, but we knew the picture was a hoax, and we were we Don, Don and I were outraged when we saw the cover and said, "You can't use that picture. It's a hoax." And they said, "Well, we've already printed the covers." And I thought, "Well, <laughs> thanks for allowing us to approve them." On the on the next edition, um, they changed the cover, and then there was a third edition when it had even a, a, a different cover altogether. So. Um, we did get the picture changed, but um, uh, um, you know that was that was just one of those things. So there's an awful lot of hoax pictures out there. Kevin, Gene, Tim, much more to come. You're in the podcast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you love reading about the mysteries of the universe? Do you wonder what secrets are hidden in the shadows of our own planet? If so, you won't want to miss these two amazing books by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. In Mimics, The Others Among Us, you'll explore the world of the mimics of man, beings that can look like us but are not. They've been among us since the beginning of history, hiding in plain sight, influencing our culture in ways we can scarcely imagine. 
In alien artifacts and credible evidence of exotic material from UFO encounters, you'll discover the so-called hard evidence of UFOs that's been available for study this entire time, but for the most part has been ignored. These two books will open your eyes to a hidden reality that has been right in front of our eyes all along. That's Mimics, The Others Among Us, and Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. Available now on Amazon.com. Have you heard the warning from the dead doctors don't lie guy? I'm talking about Dr. Joel Wallach. He says if you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol or high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, or other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. That's what he says. He has a free lecture revealing what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. And it's all in his free lecture called Deadly Recipe. You want it free? Call him toll-free at 855-79-YOUNG. You ready? 855-79-YOUNG. Dr. Joel Wallach, the dead doctors don't lie guy, says there's no reason why we shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. I have an overarching question here. You've written books, of course, about really key classic sightings. Leveland, Texas, Washington, D.C., Sicaro, Mexico. Sightings in the 50s and the 60s. Where are the major sightings of the 21st century? Well, first of all, let me point out that I think of those books as my city's books. They all have a city tile, and and that includes the Roswell books. Uh, Actually, Carl Flock and I discussed this many years ago. And we just don't have the same kind of robust sightings that we had in the in the beginning of the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and into the 70s. And I always wondered if it wasn't like a um, what we would do, a, some kind of archaeological site has been discovered or some kind of new animal has been discovered and all the scientists rush out and they spend months and months and years investigating it. And then they run back to the university and they're they're publishing their books about their findings. And I'm wondering if what we had was a bunch of college professors and their students coming to Earth to gather our flora and our fauna and check out our civilization and how we're maturing. And now they've all gone home to write their dissertations type thing. We do have some good sightings. Uh, the Chicago O'Hare sighting is very interesting. The Stevensville sighting is very interesting. But we just we just don't have the same kind of robust sightings. And the other thing I wonder about is if we haven't become more sophisticated, meaning that things that would have sparked a UFO sighting in the 50s and 60s, we now understand what it is. A bolide, for example, very bright meteor that's uh, very uncommon, makes a noise. You can hear it flying overhead. And depending on how it how it breaks up, it may look like objects in a formation type thing. And people understand what that is now, as opposed to at the time they wouldn't have understood that. So I think that might play into it. And I think part of it is where the news media goes. Uh, we didn't have 
uh, good sightings, but we do have the Tic Tac now, which has multiple chains of evidence. We have the video, we have the radar, we have the visual sightings. So we've got a very good sighting there that may be inexplicable based on, again, what I heard today, uh, uh, Commander Fravor talking about. So I look at all of that sort of thing. So I think that that's, that's part of it. And it may be that I think the, the waves in the past were sparked by a good sighting and then everybody realized where to report their sighting. So they were coming out of the woodwork to talk about the stuff. And, and, and we ended up with the, with the waves of, of sightings. And today, um, it's not so much. Uh, the stuff gets reported on social media too much. Uh, and so it's kind of diminished the importance of some of the sightings. Also, you don't have all the major daily newspapers anymore. A lot of them are online. Others just go out of business. So that's one thing, too. And you don't have everybody watching the same three networks. You know, the CBS News, Walter Cronkite Today, everything is fragmented. So very rarely does a single story get the presentation it got before. I mean, sometimes they do. But even then, it's like short attention span. I have this theory that if tomorrow... President Biden, whatever president, but we'll say the guy that's up there now, says, you know what, we have evidence here that we are experiencing visits from an off-world source of some kind, and we're investigating it, but maybe there's no evidence of them being harmful. That would make a play for two or three days. But half the people in the country would say, this guy isn't even president. At the end of the day, the story would disappear. Well, look what happened today. The big story on everywhere was Hunter Biden pleading not guilty. I guess the the, um, plea deal collapsed, but that was the big story on all the news media today. The the hearing today is being replayed at 7 p.m. tonight. I lucked out and found it um, on on, uh, the CBS News feed. So I was able to watch it today. Um, but there's an awful lot of other stuff going on, and um, people's attention span is, is not all that great. But um, I, I think that's part of the problem as well. But but I, I don't know of um, – again, I was just thinking uh, the, the Hicks and Parker abduction in Pascagoula, Mississippi in 1973. I was not very impressed with that sighting until I talked to Calvin Parker a couple of years ago. And they were coming out with all these people who had seen the UFO. So we have an abduction, but we also have people who'd saw it. And and my question was, were these people interviewed back in 1973 or these people who just come out? And some of them just come out. But there's a document, an actual letter from Keesler Air Force Base signed by uh, with a list of a whole bunch of Air Force officers, including the top guys at Keesler Air Force Base. And in the letter, they talk about four additional witnesses. So it's not just Hicks and Parker seeing the thing. It's now we learn that there's additional witnesses. And they were identified within hours of the sighting. And and so I, I we just don't have that kind of thing going on. And I, I, I think you're right. It's partially because we don't have the robust um, news, newspapers that we had before, which would could get some of this stuff going. I, I don't know how many of them. Uh, the, the youngsters read newspapers anymore. I know our local newspaper is really not very good. 
And uh, a lot of the other newspapers have a political agenda they get tied up with, so they, they kind of lose some of their readership because of that. So, I mean, it's a whole bunch of things that I think are causing trouble. Also, you have some newspaper chains that own lots of papers like Annette. So you've got USA Today and you have other papers like the Arizona Republic, but they share <laughs> content. Content is shared amongst all the papers. So you have very little local news. News staffs are cut to the bone. So if something happens, quite often there will be no coverage. Because they just don't have the staff to do it. And then the other problem I've always seen in the UFO stories is they don't have the time to look at the story in depth. And, and that's a real that's a real problem. I mean, I, I can sit here and I can I, I, I watch the congressional hearing and I can see all the mistakes made, like the guy talking about billions of light years. But I know I know the field intimately. And so I can see where the, the questions go awry. But again, this is a hearing with a whistleblower and two firsthand witnesses. And yet part of the political agenda was to talk about black budgets and the way the money is being manipulated and that sort of thing. That's really not the point of that hearing. It was to talk to these guys about what they saw and what they knew, as opposed to, well, how are they financing these black budgets? And how is this uh, the classified information held and that sort of thing? That's really not what we needed to know. We needed to know more about um, especially what Grush had, had seen and who his sources were as opposed to this other stuff. Although it may be true that black budgets are being used to finance secret UFO investigations, that's the old theory. Reverse engineer spaceships, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But it does but the tone of the questions in some of the, the tone of some of the questions about the budgeting was clear that the agenda was outrage at black projects as opposed to uh, learning about UFOs or flying saucers, as you prefer. And I do, too, by the way. Yes, I still prefer to use flying saucers, but what the heck, we have to do that. But even then, the mainstream media that covered the hearings, sometimes they referred to them as UAPs, sometimes they use UFOs. Well, so Burchett, it hasn't all who, gone away. Burchett, who was the um, one of the guys that kind of got this going, he wasn't the chairman of the committee, but he said in one of the interviews that I saw uh, that he preferred the term UFO. But UFO means unidentified flying object, and flying saucer means an alien spacecraft, so... You know, we can define our terms that way. Unidentified aerial phenomena doesn't mean much of anything at all. I think it was a politically correct way to get away from the occasional stench of UFOs since so many unpleasant things have happened in research, not just getting things done, but things that interrupted that process with crazy hoaxers. We got more to come with Kevin, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. 
They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the protectors find out more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s.com hi this is dr joel wallach the mineral doctor you've heard me talk about 90 for life for years 60 minerals 16 vitamins 12 amino acids two fatty acids you may not know this that i've actually designed arthur decks for animals that's right your pets need 90 for life too get this essential pet product by calling 877-279-9422 That's 877-279-9422. Again, 877-279-9422. Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the mineral doctor. You've heard me talk about 90 for life for years. 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, 2 fatty acids. You may not know this, that I've actually designed Arthur decks for animals. That's right. Your pets need 90 for life, too. Get this essential pet product by calling 877-279-9422. That's 877-279-9422. Again, 877-279-9422. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I help thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. Airlines have just reduced their prices even more. Book 30 days in advance and save big. Want the absolute lowest prices on your airline tickets? Then call the low-cost airlines travel hotline right now. For prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. The only way to access our low rates and save up to 70% is to call. Save hundreds on your vacation tickets by calling right now. You can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your airline. Airline tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go. And pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at low-cost airlines. 802-341-4535. That's 802-341-4535. No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. 
We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We're back well, with I, Kevin D. Randall, and he's got much I more to say. I was going to say, I, I thought the term UAP was to separate it from UFOs, not because what you were saying, but because it was a way of getting rid of the history. So we're talking about something new, a UAP. We don't have to worry about the history of UFOs. Part of the problem with coverage, though, is that journalists today don't take the time to look at the newspaper morgues to understand the history behind the story. Even current stuff, you learn what's happening, but you never see the things that happened six months ago that influenced it. And then, then I think that's part of the point. Why change it to UAP? Well, because we've now broken that link to UFOs. And I noticed an awful lot of people working very hard to use the term UAP to sound like they're on the inside and they know what's going on. But they have no, they have no idea the, about the history. Didn't they do that with UFOs originally, which came from what, Captain Ruppelt? They were talking they about been, flying saucers, and then they came up with UFO. I think Ruppelt's idea was not necessarily to, well, to use flying saucers, a derogatory term, and he mentions that in his book, where he says, you know, somebody sees something, he says, well, you're not talking about them flying saucers, are you? But he thought of the UFO, unidentified flying objects, a more scientific term. And it really didn't separate from the history of the flying saucers and the flying disks, the way UAP is looking to to separate UFOs from what's going on today. And there's still that conceit about the whole subject, either UFOs, UAP, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I was watching the news the other night, and they had a national news teaser where the person starts it out by saying... Get your tinfoil hats on, folks. Congress is going to be looking at UFO or UAP reports. Well, and it's just like, okay, that's that's not news. That's commentary. Well, but you look at the news media, and they do an awful lot of commentary today in the guise of news reporting. There's always some kind of editorial comment inserted, regardless of what the story is. Um, I mean, I was reading a supposedly a news story uh, about... Um, Part of the, the the Biden scandals going on in the text of the story, they mentioned something and then parenthetically they said, which has been debunked. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, no, it really hasn't been debunked. And you really didn't need to make that comment here. You should be talking about what is being what is being done as opposed to what you believe it might be. You need to stick with the facts. And, and if you want to make the editorial comment, that's what the editorial page is for. You don't do it in the news. And and what you're saying about the tinfoil hats, and I've seen the same thing where they uh, talking about the Roswell and they insert, but we know it's Project Mogul. No, we don't know that. And if you've paid any attention, you'd know that the Project Mogul explanation simply does not work because the flight they claim was the responsible for the wreckage at Roswell was canceled. It says so right in the documentation, flight canceled. And so you keep getting these editorial comments or, 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 or a nasty reference to the Roswell case in the context of the, of the news story. You can leave those comments out and just talk about the story. But at, well, least, know, many, at least know the history. That's yes. the important thing. Yes. Well, how many news stories, though, covering uh, today's hearing are going to start out 
playing X-Files music. Yeah, a good point. A good point. And I, we've seen that repeatedly as well. And I, and I think it's a problem with, with the training of the journalists because they're looking for something that's more visual and more auditory than just reporting the story. We, we've got to have we've got to have good visuals. You know the old news adage: if it bleeds, it leads. Well, you know who cares? What what's what's the real what's the real story here? And, and too often we don't get the real story. We get the reporter's opinion or the um, or the anchor's opinion as opposed to the facts of the story. Well, most of these, most of the reporters and most of the producers who write the intros for the anchors have no knowledge of these subjects. It's, it's like, I mean, they're, they're used to covering politics or what car crashes happened this, you know, today, things like that, things like UFOs. That's, that's outside of their knowledge base. So they're just going to go with uh, what they've seen everybody else doing over the years. Well, I, I remember a story not that long ago where they uh, were talking about an outbreak of cholera and uh, in, in Africa, I think it was, and the news anchor talk, called it cholera. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> but, no. I, but I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen that multiple times where they, they, they don't even know what I would consider basic knowledge. Well, we've got uh, we've got one more question here from our base, and this is uh, the last one from uh, a sign flosser, and uh, this this is going back to uh, the Washington Nationals book, and uh, he asked uh, Kevin, what do you make of the unnamed scientist who warned Edward Ruppelt of uh, severely increased UFO activity in the next few days? over a major East Coast city, probably Washington, D.C., just a few days before the start of the Washington sightings. I don't know what to make of that, because the other side of that coin that I do know is that Ruppelt uh, talked about a solution for the Washington Nationals, but he didn't put it into his book because it would identify the scientist who had made the um, suggestion. And when, after Ruppelt died, I, 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 a number of different UFO organizations had managed to purchase Ruppelt's files, and they found the answer that Ruppelt wouldn't put in the book, and was Fireflies. And it may, it may relate to something he had noticed in the environment that would suggest Fireflies that would be seen all over and that would lead to some kind of UFO sighting. I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting prediction, and I don't know of any, any time that anybody else has done that same kind of prediction. So um, it may have been more of a coincidence than anything else. Hmm. Interesting. Fireflies. Now, I don't think I've heard that one before. It's an explanation for uh, uh, UFOs. That was, that was in Ruppelt's, Ruppelt's notes for his book. And uh, I was sworn to secrecy on that because the people who owned the Ruppelt files at the time wanted to do their own um, analysis of the Ruppelt's book and everything, and they didn't want me revealing the Firefly explanation that Ruppelt thought was legitimate. But that was 25 years ago, and so that, that ship has sailed long ago. So in your book, I noticed that you've got a, uh, a chapter... Let me go up to the top of it here and get to, oh yeah, chapter 12, Blue Book and the Aliens. 
and uh, uh, you write quite a bit about the uh, uh, the the Flatwoods monster. Now that's uh, uh, that's a bit of UFO history that a lot of people probably uh, have uh, no knowledge on. And well, it's September of 1952, so it fits into that that right. time frame because this is the flap from of the summer of 1952, mm-hmm. and it's multiple witness. There was some in- indications of physical evidence left behind. We'll continue with Flatwoods in our next segment. With okay, we'll have more with Kevin, Gene, and Tim. Flatwoods monster, indeed. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Tehebo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea helps build red corpuscles in the blood, which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop, and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. The first word is shop, spelled S-H-O-P, then the word super, and then the word tea. The complete website is shopsupertea.com or call us at 818-984-6100 Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-984-6100. Shopsupertea.com. update. Some Americans finally in for some cooler weather. Cooler temperatures are moving in with heat advisories expiring from New Jersey to Missouri and in the southwest. Phoenix is finally getting a break. Phoenix has been 110 degrees or hotter for more than four straight weeks. I'm Jeremy Scott. A Ford recall to tell you about. Here's USA's Jerry Barmash. Ford announced it's recalling nearly 900,000 F-150 trucks in the U.S. due to a wiring issue. There's a long wait to get your passport renewed. Correspondent Scott Carr with details. The State Department says it's been receiving an unprecedented 430,000 passport applications every week, leaving staff overwhelmed and many travelers panicking. The turnaround time to get a passport in the mail now averages about 13 weeks. Last year, the U.S. issued over 23 million passports as Americans started traveling again. And I'm Laura Winters, USA News. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. 
If we've learned anything from recent news, it's that unexpected things are happening. Your gut tells you there's something very wrong going on, and all the evidence suggests that there is. Government emails are hacked. There's talk of how to fight World War III, and trade of grains and food are being disrupted. Those in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. It's time to invest in self-reliance and emergency food storage now, more than ever. My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest emergency preparedness company, is the place you can trust. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contains tasty breakfasts, lunch, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Get at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save 25%, plus get free shipping on all their three-month emergency food kits. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today. It's time to prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com Hi, my name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. Kevin Randall talking about 1952 and about a sighting I first read about in a book by Gray Barker. They knew too much about flying saucers, which occurred in Flatwoods, West Virginia. Kevin? What's interesting about this is uh, there were a number of witnesses. There was an alien creature scene. There was a, um, a number of people who went up a hill. They, they did, thought they'd seen something land, something crash on the hillside, and they walked up the hill. Um, they were not overcome, but they encountered a foul odor and um, saw a creature of some kind that they described. They fled back down the hill. They alerted the local authorities. And um, others reported the, the UFO. A couple of days later, another guy, his wife and young child, infant really, had their car stalled close to the area and reported a similar type cra- uh, creature and a similar type stench, uh, which frightened them badly. So it's a, a combination of sightings that, that took place in September of 1952. Yeah, that was a fascinating, a fascinating case. And uh, Gray Barker, I think, uh, made uh, that was uh, the start of his early career reporting on that. And and uh, it, 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 I think it's overlooked partially because in the early UFO realm, it was okay to see the craft in the sky. Um, it was sort of okay to see the landed craft, but if you saw the creatures from inside, if you saw the beings who were flying the thing, then you were pretty much written off as a complete nutcase. In, in the Project Blue Book files, almost every report that has alien beings in it, the um, Air Force wrote it off as a psychological problem, including an Air Force officer who reported a, um, a landing with a, and seeing the beings. Uh, they did a great, great job of trying to smear his reputation. Uh, the um, Socorro case, Lonnie Zamora seeing the two, the landed thing in Socorro and the two, two beings outside, um, is one of the few cases in which the Air Force didn't label it as a psychological problem. We've got uh, some other questions here from uh, listener George Wingfield. And uh, George is asking, he starts out by saying that uh, um, on uh, June 18th, 2023, you wrote in your blog uh, site, 
Uh, my thesis is that the San Antonio crash story is a hoax. Uh, no aliens at a at a non-existent crash site. Uh, uh, there was no crash landing of UFO military aircraft because the story was a hoax. Now, George says, Kevin, do you... St- Stick with your uh, assertion that this is that uh, uh, that 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 what George says is plain wrong. George says that there was a crash of an unknown vehicle, aero vehicle, at the Trinity site in August 1945, uh, and that it was inside this wreck aircraft that Jose Abdilla and Remy Baca, I'm not sure if I pronounced that last name right, saw three uh, uh, beans dressed in coveralls, uniforms, da da da. So he's basically, if you're, you know, still stay, you know, if that's your story, and you're sticking with it. Absolutely. Um, and I can't remember the guy's name. Oh, Douglas Smith. I think it's Douglas Smith. Douglas, maybe Douglas Dean Smith. He, there's a there's a uh, website devoted to this case that just rips it to shreds. Uh, Tom Carey met with Remy Baca a number of years ago, recorded the interview. So we have the tape. We can listen to what he says. What he said on the tape is completely different than what he says today, which is a good indication of a hoax. The police officer, the um, state trooper, who supposedly was called in in 1945. In 1945, he was not a state trooper. He was, in fact, in Europe as a, as a soldier. There's all kinds of problems with it. The Cavalier method uh, treatment of this by the military Supposedly, they have this object that's crashed near the Trinity site. World War II is still going on. War in Europe's over, but we still have to worry about the Japanese. And the Japanese had been launching balloon bombs, some of which made it to the United States and, and caused trouble. And, and six people were killed by a Japanese balloon bomb. So the war's still going on. They're confronted with this craft that's unknown to them. They bring in a truck. They clean up the site, then they leave it unguarded and they go to lunch. This makes absolutely no sense to me. Military wouldn't have done that. They would have, if they were confronted with an unknown craft, they would have guarded it because they would worry about it being some kind of Japanese secret weapon at the time. The original date for the crash, according to Remy Baca, was, I think, 1947. But um, if you want to see the, the the whole case picked apart. Um, I think I linked to it in my blog. So you can take a look at the blog because there's an update and there's links to these stories that um, the, this re- researcher, I, I think it's Douglas Smith. I can't remember. I know it's Douglas Dean. I think it's Douglas Dean Smith. Anyway. Isn't it Johnson? Johnson. Yes. Johnson. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, Before you go, go on, to- I mentioned to our listeners. That the questions me? that Tim is asking from George Wingfield come in a private conversation to me, so you won't see him posted, although I think he'll post them later. The second thing is here, we have run some stuff about Trinity in our forums, and we mentioned the Johnson piece. Go ahead, yeah. please. Well, the Johnson website, because he looks at all aspects of this, and he, and he, he utterly destroys it. And then um, we learned that Tom Carey had this tape and I told Johnson about it and he want I told uh, Tom Johnson would be contacting him and Tom had told me well I've got all these unmarked tapes I can't find it and apparently he spent an hour and found it and sent it to Johnson so you can listen to 
Tom's interview with Remy Baca and how it differs so much from what um, came out later in the book Trinity. But yes, it's it's an obvious hoax. Um, there's there's just absolutely nothing to um, corroborate it at all. I mean, they're, they're talking about, well, the, the military couldn't pick up all the pieces, so they buried them. Okay. Well, but then there was a big flood in the area, and that buried the um, debris under 20 feet of dirt, so you can't get to it. Uh, some of the stuff was like tinsel, I guess, because they were taking it home when they were hanging it on their Christmas trees. But unfortunately, all of that has disappeared since then. I mean, the story is just preposterous on its surface. And so, yes, I still subscribe to the idea that the Trinity crash is a hoax. <laughs> the thing that worries right. me about that whole thing, and I've seen the book, I haven't read all of it, is that someone like Jacques Vallée gets involved. I mean, Paula Harris believes a lot of stuff. And so if she gets involved in something that's of questionable nature, it makes sense to me. We caught her once saying that the Billy Meyer case was the real deal. And we beat up on her on the Paracast many years ago when she came up with that. As she tried to get away from it. So I understand again about her. Valet, I do not understand to this day. Um, boy, I, I've talked to a number of people. I've talked to Valet. In fact, when the, um, um, the carry tape came out, I sent Jacques Vallée a, a note and said, what do you think about this latest uh, information? And he wrote me back a nice note and says, uh, dear Kevin, if I may be so bold, you know, calling me by my first name. And he, and he the excuse he, he gave me was that um, the fact that Baca had asked about making money on his crash was irrelevant. And basically, I would agree with that. It's basically irrelevant. And so I wrote back to him. I said, no, I was more worried about the tape that Tom Carey had provided of what he said before. And we have these issues with it, including the state trooper who was serving in Europe at the time. He supposedly was in New Mexico as a state trooper. Never heard a word back. I don't yep. know. I, I don't ahead. know how he got involved in this case, why he champions this case. I think he realizes at this point, and this is my opinion, of course, I think he realizes at this case that it's at this point that the case is probably not uh, valid. We're going to go into more of this and many other things with Kevin D. Randall. I'm Gene Steinberg. He's Tim Swartz. You're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about 
Paracast Plus. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork. You know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-507-3137. That's 800-507-3137. Life can be full of risks. One thing you shouldn't take a risk with ever is your family's health insurance. If you're self-employed or you now need affordable health insurance, you need to make this free call right now and see how the health insurance helpline can help you get it. We specialize in helping the self-employed and people just like you that need affordable health insurance to get it. We have short and long-term health insurance plans and some even cover dental, vision, and prescription drugs. Don't take a risk with your family's health insurance. It's not worth it. If you're self-employed or now need affordable health insurance, call right now and learn for free how to get it. Listen, affordable health insurance plans for everyone just like you are a free phone call away. So give us a shout right now. 800-670-0946. 800-670-0946. 800-670-0946. That's 800-670-0946. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie Guy. There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. And I'm going to give you a free copy of my lecture that tells you exactly how to do it. In fact, after you've lived a long and healthy life, there should be only two documents in your medical chart, a birth certificate and a death certificate. I'm Dr. Wallach with a warning. If you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, and other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. My free lecture is going to reveal what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. It's all in my free lecture called Deadly Recipe. So call toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. Again, that's toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. 1-855-79-YOUNG. This is Jennifer Stein, executive producer of The Disclosure Dialogues. You're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Now, just to kind of close out Trinity, I wrote to Valet and Paula Harris to get a response. And basically, Harris complained about the low level of content in the responses and then said they're not going to say anything more about it, period. And when I asked for a review copy of the book before I finally got one, she said, well, you can go to Amazon, which I thought was just plain rude. I have not heard from Valet. And as you might have said, maybe he believed for whatever reason there was something to it, 
and then maybe now he doesn't, and now he's kind of stuck in the middle of it. Well, I think the evidence that it's a hoax is overwhelming. You've got basically two witnesses, and that's it. I think they're both dead now, which is not a relevant point. I mean, Roswell witnesses are all dead as well. But um, there were only two witnesses involved at all that were interviewed. And the story just just doesn't make any common sense. And anybody who would think about it would, would realize that. There's so many contradictions. And then in, in, the, in the book, the, I mean, he talks about the Aurora, Texas crash. And I'm thinking, why? It has nothing to do with Trinity. And I, I think the Aurora, Texas crash is a hoax as well. And the reason I say that is Aurora, Texas is in Wise County. And Wise County Historical Society told me when I investigated in 1972, the two books had been written about the history of Wise County within 10 years of the alleged crash. Neither one mentioned it. Well, if there'd been a crash of some kind of strange object in Aurora, Texas in 1897, surely one of those books would have mentioned it. But they don't. And that that's kind of a red flag for me. And now we have this story from Trinity that kind of fits in the same mold. We just have nothing to verify it whatsoever other than what the two guys were talking about. And their story has shifted immensely over the, over the years and changed. And that's, again, suggestive of a hoax. Not to attack Paula Harris again, but she <laughs> seems like the kind of person, if she'll accept Billy Meyer she will accept Aurora, Texas. Of course, I remember Aurora, Texas, when the late Hayden Hughes, a UFO researcher, made a big fuss about that case and got in the newspapers and everything that turned out to be a big bust. Do you recall that? I do. And I, the, the interesting thing is I was there um, a year before Hayden Hughes. I was there in, I think it was in the summer of 1972, I was there. I took pictures in the graveyard. I got pictures of Aurora, Texas, and, and things like that. Talked to a witness. Had talked to a witness who had these gnarled hands from arthritis when I talked to him. He, he was in his 70s at the time. He was a, a youngster in 1897. And he, he told me, no, it never happened. Saw him later on one of the documentaries, and he was talking about the crash. He was there, and he saw the whole thing. I, I, I think that's kind of the problem. I've been around the UFO field for so long. I, I know some of these things that are most people don't want to hear uh, about things like the Aurora, Texas crash. The, the whole 1897 airship story, for the most part, most of those are hoaxes and jokes and misidentifications. So. Well, it's also that true that sometimes newspapers would publish fake stories, the real fake news, fake stories just to gain circulation. Oh, absolutely. And, and and the airship was a good one for doing that. A lot of papers, there was a story in, I think it's the Burlington, Iowa paper, could be Dubuque. I'm not sure which one, 1897, talked about how um, telegraphers would uh, see, one guy would say, well, the airship's over here and it's flying towards so-and-so place. And the next, in, the, in that town, the guy would say, yeah, it just appeared over town here. And they were kept, kept the story going that way. Um, there was a wonderful story in the... Um, Oh, and this just kind of annoys me. The Cedar Rapids Gazette carried a story of the ship crash landing in Waterloo, Iowa. And it, it was clear uh, on the first first day, it was clear they didn't know what was going on and they wanted more information. And I, I got it out of the newspaper and I went home and then I thought, you know, I should have looked for the next day. And then the next day it came out, it was a hoax. But I had an illustration from the Gazette that I could use. Well, when I did the a book about alien mysteries, somebody found a picture of that airship from Waterloo. There's an actual photograph of it. And, of course, it was all admitted to be a hoax, but they had created this airship on the, on the um, fairgrounds to, I guess, 
excite people. I was stunned that somebody had found a photograph and I'd never thought to go check with the Waterloo Courier to see if there was a photograph in their archives of this airship in 1897, but there was. Do you think any of the cases from 1897 were genuine? I think there's a couple that may have been, uh, but I think the vast majority of them are, are invention. And it's, and it's given the um, quality of the airship and the stories. I mean, some of them, like there was a story out of, out of Texas where the airship landed and the people talked to the crew and they were on their way to bomb the Spanish in Cuba. Once was just before the, war, the, the Spanish-American War in 1898. And so you've got some of that. And, and there's other stories that are clearly hoaxes and admitted hoaxes and things like that. There's a, a sighting in Omaha, Nebraska. And they were talking about the headlight being really bright and hovering over the in the western sky. And I got to thinking about that. And I said, I bet that was Venus. There were misidentifications, too. But I, 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 I just don't know of any cases that are really, really intriguing from the 1897 era. You know, when you talk about that era, I think of a TV show from Canada called Murdoch Mysteries, which is in its 16th season now. And they call it steampunk. Because it has sci-fi elements, but still from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Plus, he keeps meeting famous people like H.G. Wells, and they talk about a time machine. It's a wacky series. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it very highly if you like that kind of thing. It's basically a police procedural about police department in Toronto. But as I said, from the last decade of the 19th century and the first decade of the 20th century... And it seems it'll go on forever. And and what's the name of it? Murdoch Mysteries. Murdoch Mysteries. And it, what it, what streaming service is it on? It's on Acorn. Acorn is a streaming service that covers British shows. A lot of British shows, shows from New Zealand, shows from Australia. Do they have commercials? Acorn, no. It's like five, six dollars a month, commercial free. No, see, if it's coming from Great Britain and New Zealand and Australia, I'd, I'd sign on just to see the commercials, see how their commercials were compared, compared to ours. <laughs> I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Of course, the big thing here is that the UFO story never ends. And because of that, we're going to have Kevin Randall back to answer the remaining questions from George Wingfield, because he wrote quite a few questions. Like I said, each question can consume a full episode. Kevin Randall, tell us about the stuff you're working on and if we're really, really, really curious about how to find you, as I am always, where do we find you? Well, of course, the books are available on Amazon.com under Kevin Randall. The uh, book coming out in September is called 1973, and it's about the UFO world in 1973, but it was kind of inspired by the Pascagoula abduction. I talked to uh, Charles Hickson a number of years ago, talked to Calvin Parker in recent months and got a lot of insight from him that was interesting. But it also shows that 1973 had a lot more going on ufologically than um, you would think based on the way the reporting has gone. So that book will be out, I think, in September. Um, I'm updating the Roswell Encyclopedia for next year because there's so much information 
new information and I'm, there's stuff to take out. Like there's a long section on Gerald Anderson, for example. Well, it can be reduced now to a couple of paragraphs explaining who Gerald Anderson was and why we reject his testimony. And so anyway, the books are all available at, Am- at Amazon.com, available on your bookstore. So take a look, uh, just Kevin Randall at Amazon. And oh, the blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and there's more information there. You can find us on Threads, on Twitter, and on Facebook. If you look for The Paracast, we are on all those things. We're not on TikTok. Maybe some year. You can get branded merchandise at theparacast.shop or theparacast.store. You can also get this show in a premium version without the network ads, plus the exclusive After the Paracast podcast, where Kevin will be back. If you check out the Paracast.plus, the Paracast.plus, if you use the coupon code UFO20, UFO20, you get a 20% discount on Lifetime and five-year subscriptions, the Paracast.plus. Kevin Randall, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Paracast. I've enjoyed every minute of it and we'd be delighted to come back. Featuring Gene Steinberg is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. <laughs>